Hello and welcome to How's the Water, our infrequent, very infrequent at the moment, podcast of our books. I am as ever joined by my faithful ami, Sienna. Bonjour, Sienna. Ça va? Bonjour, Gary. Ça va bien. Thank you. It's been a little while since we last did this. It has. It's been a little while, hasn't it? Um, I think uh, events and busyness have kind of overtaken us, but we're, we're back to it today and hopefully hopefully recording a few more of these over the next few weeks. Definitely. Hopefully we have something good today that we're getting into. Aujourd'hui, je parle en français parce que we are going to be talking about a French work of literature, and that is, I don't think we've ever really nailed down exactly what the book is called, but I believe it is Double V or The Memory of Childhood by George Perec. So, yeah. 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 How did you first come to be aware of this book and the writer? Well, I wasn't really aware of the book, to be honest with you, um, until I kind of found it somewhere. And I thought, well, that's quite a short book. <laughs> so that's <laughs> ideal for, for podcast purposes, <laughs> knowing that we were both quite busy with work and stuff. But I first became aware of George Perec through, have you heard of Paul Oster? Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read Paul Oster before. Yeah, yeah. So I, I used to quite like Paul Oster. I mean, I, maybe I still would, but I've got out of the habit of reading him. And he, I think I read an essay of his a long, long time ago about Georges Perec. And he talked about Life a User's Guide, his most, uh, Perec's most famous book quite uh-huh. a lot. And that always intrigued me. Uh-huh. And then when I found this book uh, available, kind of intrigued me. And that's how why I suggested that we do an episode on it. Yeah. Brief aside there, um, the first time I read Paul Astaire was actually when I was living in Belgium and I read him in French. So really? back when I could do that, um, I don't remember all that much of it, to be honest, but it was a pretty good book. I know that's not very interesting. No, it is interesting. Though. Yeah, it's, it's a, about a guy who he's he's dealing with a um, his daughter has just had her husband killed or something like that. And so it's sort of one of those very French things where it's like a man dealing with his identity and reality while at the same time dreaming of this kind of different scenario where he's channeling all the confusion and grief into that and so it's pretty introspective and pretty interesting but very similar to this book actually yeah I think he was a bit of an inspiration Perec for Paul Oster I think yeah Yeah, he's huge I mean I know you were in Belgium but he was he's huge in France isn't he Paul Oster I know yeah my my host parents really really liked him Um, my host dad in particular really like pushed me to read him so mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty good I'm really happy that you chose this book to do it's funny because we have another book in the series if any of you are following us we may have mentioned it before but we have um, another book called the periodic table that we were going to do and you kind of gave me a choice like what should we do the next episode on first what was she what should we read and I said oh why don't we do the periodic table and you said well why don't we do v- double v because uh, the periodic table, it's a bit long, and I think it's a bit heavy because it's about the Holocaust. And double V is shorter, and it's probably it's more autobiographical. It's probably a bit lighter. And I thought, yeah, cool, sounds good. And it ended up being like a horrible, dark little book about the Holocaust too. <laughs> That's true, isn't oh, it? Oh, oops. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's quite dark in places. I think mm. half of half of it is really dark. I think. 
And the mm-hmm. other half, it sort of has darkness in it, but it's more reflective, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting. And we will we'll get into that mm. in just a bit. Looking forward to it. Should we go on to the biography of George Perec? Yeah, sure. So I'll just uh, tell you a little bit about his life up until the, the writing of Double V. Perec was born in Paris on the 7th of March 1936 to Polish Jewish parents, Hudko and Celia Peretz, who had emigrated to France in the 1920s. Both of his parents died during the war, uh, his father from gunfire and shrapnel wounds in 1940, and his mother in the Holocaust, probably in Auschwitz in 1943. So Pelek was brought up by his aunt and uncle who adopted him, his uh, paternal aunt and uncle, that is, as we as we see in the book. Mm-hmm. Pelek himself served in the army as a paratrooper in the late 1950s, the French army. He married Paulette Petra after he was discharged. They spent one year in Tunisia where she was a teacher. And from 1961, to 1978, Perec worked as an archivist at the Neurophysiological Research Laboratory in Paris, I think. Perec's literary career encompasses reviews, essays, radio plays and films, but he's perhaps most well known for his novels. His first, and here comes my French, Les Choisis Things. Les Choses. Les Choses, uh, excusez-moi, Les Choses. Things, a sto- story of the 60s, 1965, won the Prix Renaud, uh, which is a, a French literary prize I've written here. His novels show a fondness for wordplay, but are touched by a feeling of melancholia. In 1969, he published La Disparation. Was that better? Yeah, I think you did a Spanish accent there. Okay, Les Disparation. Yeah, uh, maybe that's a bit better. Yeah. Ce n'est pas grave, Gary. Okay. <laughs> A lipogram in which the letter E is not to be found anywhere in the book. This was translated into English as void by Gilbert Albert, Adair, also without the letter E. He complemented this with Les, <laughs> Les Revenons, mm-hmm. 1972, a piece in which E is the only value. <laughs> when you told me he was doing shit like this, mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, you don't really yeah, I- hear stuff like that every day. No, no, he's really playing with it. I remember all this from the Paul Oster essay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he goes into that quite a lot, I think, those two books. The work we're going to look at today is Double V, or Memory of Childhood, which was published in 1975. Yeah, just a little word about the title. It says, it looks like a W on the cover that I've got, but mm-hmm. the, the, the two Vs that it's divided into are in two different colours. And then I think in the introduction, doesn't he say... Uh, that the book should be called Double V, not W. Is that right? And that's why we're calling it that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think, well, I know, but in a lot of like uh, romance languages, so Spanish and French and Italian and stuff, the wor- the letter W is called Double V anyway. So that would, it makes more sense to call it that yeah, in English. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think we're doing the right thing. I think that was the right decision. <laughs> Good. Anyway, shall we break off our biography of Georges Pelec to have a look at his at this semi-autobiographical book? Yep, let's go. So this book has two titles, and this is because it is split into two narratives. So these consist of chapters which alternate between autobiography, which is the memory of childhood, and double V, which is fictional. 
So you're going to tell us about the memory of childhood, aren't you? Yes, I am. I'll start right now. So the memory of childhood, this is an essential mosaic of memories and descriptions of photos from Perek's childhood, particularly his experiences during the Second World War. So the first part leads up to the war when he is separated from his mother, who despite believing herself safe as the wife of a soldier is deported as a Jew to die, as we've heard probably in Auschwitz. The child Perek is then evacuated and we learn about his recollections of life at different institutions before he returns to Paris. And so at this point he's been taken in by his aunt and uncle. Uh, However, these memories prove to be unreliable he seems to have falsely remembered details or else borrowed them from other people, particularly recollections of accidents and injuries he has suffered. So uh, what did you think of this, this part? This is an, an, a part that kind of runs throughout the book. Yeah. So this and the other narrative that we'll talk about a little bit, they kind of, they alternate, don't they? So mm-hmm. there's one chapter of this and then one chapter of double V. Um of the two, I much preferred this part. I thought there was, mm-hmm. he, he had quite a lot to say about the role of memory, about you know his parents. The stuff about his parents is really quite moving, even though he doesn't really have any kind of memory of them. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he begins it, doesn't he, saying, I have no memory of my childhood or I have no childhood memories or something like that. Yeah, I was just going to say, like he says something like, before the age of 12, I don't remember anything and everything that I'm going to write has been told to me or I've looked in newspapers or I've um, pieced things together. Mm. Uh, So right away, I think you, you know, what he's saying can't really be trusted all that much. Mm -hmm. Um, Go on. Well, he he highlights that quite a lot himself, doesn't he? I mean, there's, there's a lot about accidents, like you said, and injuries, like there's a part where he, the bit where they rush away from Paris when he's evacuated and he remembers being in a sling and his aunt, I think, telling him, you have to pretend to be injured because this will get you out of Paris more safely and more quickly. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that that's a false memory and that he wasn't in a sling or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, we'll get into a bit more of that later. But this part and him not seeming to remember a lot of stuff actually it ties in very nicely with the double V narrative that he alternates with. I mean, when you think about a child who can't remember certain events, I think that indicates a great deal of trauma being done. Yes. Um, yeah. He, he sort of suggests that the injuries that he remembers are this one. And then there's another one where I think he, remembers falling in the ice and injuring his arm again mm-hmm. and um he then it sort of accepts that these are false memories but then sort of says yeah they're a manifestation of the sort of mental harm that was being kind of done to him by circumstances at the time yeah um, and i can't even imagine really like the the confusion i think childhood is confusing under the best of circumstances to be honest and then you throw in things like that like your your father dying very young and then your mother just suddenly just being gone 
or you yeah. having to go away from her and you just never see her again. And you're off to live with these dis not distant, but relatives you don't really know. And that's mm -hmm. just your life. And then you're kind of just in and out of these different places and moving around. And it must have been um, terribly just confusing for him. Yeah. For I all the children who had to go through similar things, because there were a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sort of being evacuated and, mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I think almost like the older Pelek is almost like a sort of slightly ghostly figure in it as well. Um, so he, he kind of alludes, well, he, more than alludes, he talks about like visiting the places from his childhood and how they don't quite match up with how he remembers things. Or I think there's one place where he go, one part, sorry, where he goes back to a home where he remembers sneaking down the stairs on Christmas Day. Yeah. And he has a memory of like the banister being really tall and then he goes back. And like a lot of us, when we go back to places that we remember from childhood, it's much smaller and the banister mm -hmm. only comes up to his hip. And it's, it's sort of a sense of like the adult him being very different to the child him. Yeah. Have that. Have you ever done that before? Like you've gone back to places where you used to live or places where you used to, you just go all the time and they're you're just like, well, these, this doesn't seem quite like I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Smaller is definitely yeah. the way I remember. I, you're pretty like... tall, I think. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the... <laughs> Unless you were always like that. <laughs> I was always reasonably tall for my age. But yeah, yeah. I remember even the places that when I was older, like I worked in a, like a supermarket when I was about 16. And I've been in there since. And it's, it still seems much smaller now. And I wasn't like a child then, really. Um, or yeah, places I used to go with my friends and play sport and stuff. And yeah, they still seem kind of just the same, but like slightly out of proportion, I think. Yeah, I find that a lot driving, like when I've been back in the United States or even mm -hmm. um, not just being back in the United States, but being back in a city that I haven't yeah. been to in a long time and I'm driving around and there are places that I used to just know like the back of my hand and I mm -hmm. just remember being so familiar with them and then to drive around through them again be them like am I in the right place is that there before I can't remember maybe it was and I just yeah. the number that time does on you is um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's pretty pretty horrifying and amazing anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not even with trauma suffered <laughs> it's just like <laughs> life happening to you you didn't work in that supermarket. Oh, so. I'm sorry. I, I don't no, know. I do not mean to compare my experiences there to, to his childhood. That was a, a flippant <laughs> remark. Um, by the way, have you ever been to a concentration camp? That's another follow-up uh, question. I, I have been to a concentration I've been to Auschwitz, yeah, mm. in, in, um, in, well, in Poland, obviously. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, an interesting day there. Um, yeah, how do you begin talking about something mm. like that? I mean, it's there are two things really. There's the a horror of what you're seeing and having to try and take it all in and have like little moments to yourself. And for me, the worst part, being a parent, now, I can really understand this. But even then, like there's something very touching I think about a child's like shoes mm -hmm. so I've even found that with my son when he first got his shoes and they're very little but like like proper shoes but mini versions and in Auschwitz they have a display of all that like not all I imagine but uh, some of the shoes that were like taken off the children before mm -hmm. they were murdered and I yeah I remember it being quite upset seeing that and then the other thing is uh, it's kind of been turned into like a, a tourist site now which I have mixed feelings about because people in tourist sites people that go there behave like tourists and I, I found I think I found a lot of the behavior of people around quite disrespectful 
Uh, Are you so talking about Americans on holiday just uh, uh, snapping away? I don't know if they were American, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't remember. But there was, yes, I am talking about people like snapping away. I remember yeah. like there's one point where you go up to, um, you go up to one of the, I mean, I think a lot of it is a reconstruction now, to be honest, but you go up to one of the towers where, I imagine the soldiers were keeping guard like by the fence, something like that. I remember people like racing up there against other people to kind of take the best photo from the top. Yeah. I, thought, I think is this, and this was before like social media had taken off. I was there. So I bet it's even worse now, but I remember thinking this is not, that's not why not, you're here. Not why you're here. Could you not have a bit of respect for, you know, for what's going on or like the, the tour guide, like talking about some of the awful things that had happened there. Um, and then people just not listening and just wandering uh -huh. off to take pictures of like piles of rocks and stuff. Uh -huh. like, well, you know, is that what you're here for really? Just to show, to prove to people that you've been there? Yeah. Are you here to learn? Yeah. Are you here to learn all? or are you just, mm. are you just here to go home and tell people that you've been there and show them photos? And I know we all do that on holiday. We all partly go to places to say that we've been there. And I, and I probably went there partly for that reason myself, but. Yeah, I, I didn't really like that side of it, to be honest with you. So I don't know if I'd go back because I think I'd find that, find that quite mm. um, tough. So I think it's worth having it there as a reminder and, and getting rid of it would be awful, mm -hmm. be wrong. But at the same time, you, you sort of wonder about, it made me really wonder about people. Did you have any other thoughts to add? Well, I've been to a concentration camp. Uh, which concentration camp have you been to? Well, because I lived in Belgium, they were occupied by Nazis and they did mm. have them there. Yeah. Um, and so I went to one, it's in the north of Belgium called Fort Breendock. Mm. And it wasn't so much of a traditional concentration camp as it was more of a prison. Um, generally, I think it was more people who weren't complying with race laws at the time. Okay. German race laws that weren't true. So it was just any, like all sorts of people who were there, not just Jewish people, but there were Jews there and the Jewish people were kept like separated. And a lot of the Jewish people eventually got sent to bigger concentration camps like Auschwitz. But in general, it was just a place where they just held people hostage. It was quite small, but I mean, that doesn't diminish the, the scale of horror that happened. Do you remember after you went to Auschwitz, do you remember what you did like later that day? I was living in Poland at the time and I was on holiday with some friends in Krakow. We probably went for a meal in the evening mm -hmm. or something like that. I went bowling. And it's yeah. like, I was just thinking about that today because I just was trying to remember that day. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about the fact that um, I have pictures and stuff from that day, just going bowling and having a lovely time after yeah. going after seeing that. And I think that definitely speaks to the privilege we have of m not having like that history of genocide or persecution in our recent family line. You don't have the burden of that hanging over you. Whereas yeah. so many people do, you know, through, a connection to the Holocaust or other genocides and other, you know, things like that going on in, in the in different parts of the world. Still, I'm sure other people with closer connections to these types of places must feel completely differently. It must be uh, both healing and traumatizing on different levels for people, other people. Yeah. Having had no background of that, uh, I think 
you know, you, you see something that's a bit like difficult to process and difficult to imagine. And what are you supposed to do with that? And um, I guess for me and the group of people we were with, uh, it was to just kind of release it by just having a fun game of something. So. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's a, an interesting bit in, in the memory of childhood where he talks about going to find his father's grave mm-hmm. and he finds it in a church and he doesn't seem all that moved. I mean, writing about it years later, he just says it was a bit strange to see the name yeah. on the grave. And then he uh-huh. goes and basically just says, and then I just went to, and then I just went and sat in the train waiting to leave. Yeah. So that was his own father's grave. And yeah. it, it that's probably, I mean, what else was he supposed to do? Just he'd seen the grave. Did he want to stand there and look at it for a long time or no, uh-huh. he just wanted to get out of there. Um, uh-huh. What, what are you supposed to do next? I mean, there's no, there's no real rule book, is there? I'm glad you brought that up because that is a good point of the book that there is this quite a big disconnect. It's not, he is a very like like you said earlier on, a very ghostly figure in this book, like the adult George Perec reflecting on all this stuff. And yeah, um, yeah he, there does seem to be a lack of connection, almost like almost it's a detachment that is, I assume, on purpose. But I almost think that it's something that he couldn't help do when he was writing it. It's something that you like, there's only one right way to, to write a book like this. And I think that's for his own sake, maybe that was best for him is to just to write it from kind of a distance. Do you know what I mean? Am I explaining? Yeah. 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 No, yeah. No, it's written in a very detached way. And I wondered if that was just his style. You don't feel in writing that he's really looking for sympathy Uh at all. It's just a kind of sense of, this is what happened or here's what I remember or here's what some photos show, but it's not a case of like, Oh, poor me. You get the feeling that the adult Perek is okay and and happy. um, Really. um, Even though he's probably carrying this, this trauma around with him. Well, do you want to get into the fictional narrative of double V? Yes, I will do that right now. Okay, so as we said, the book is split into two parts. There's The Memory of Childhood and Double V. And Double V itself is a fictional narrative, and that is split into two parts. In the first, uh, the narrator has deserted the army and taken the name of Gaspar Winkler. He's contacted by a mysterious man who asks him to seek out the real Gaspar Winkler, a boy who's gone missing at sea. And then the narrative kind of completely changes. And this other part describes in meticulous detail life on a remote island called Double V, which is located off Tierra del Fuego. At first, this story seems to depict a utopia in which life is organized around a series of athletics events which aspire to the Olympic ideal. However, as the narrative progresses, it is revealed to be a cruel, dystopian, individualistic place in which women are locked up and raped as part of an annual sporting event, and the men are subject to arbitrary and unjust rules. And, and that's kind of it, really. It just kind of describes these events in increasingly gruesome detail. What did you think of this part? Well, I have um, pretty strong opinions about both parts, but I'm going to start with the the first one. So the mm-hmm. one about the the narrator, the army deserter who took the name, come to find out that the name that he's taken is actually from a little boy who's been lost in a shipwreck. And I think 
that George Perec for him, it's his way of reconciling his adult self with those childhood memories he can't seem to remember very mm. clearly. So it's like he's taken the identity of this child that he has no connection to, but seems to be very important to him at the same time. And, and um, what the interesting thing is, is that in this fictional narrative, someone approaches him and says, do you realize that this is the real child whose name that you've taken? And we need you to go find him or something. It's something like he, you're the only person who can find him, or we really need you. We've been looking for you to help, or you don't, uh, is that what happens? It's been a little while since we. Read yeah. He, he tracks him down, doesn't he? In a hotel. And then he goes to meet him in a bar and then isn't he revealed to be like an insurance agent or something like that? Who... Yeah. Yeah. And I found that quite interesting because then it just ends really there. Like they're on this mission, you know, they've got a map and they're looking at where the shipwreck may have been. And it's so almost like, okay, well, here we go. And then it just stops. Like he never actually goes. Did he ever recover those childhood? I suppose he didn't, but did he ever even really uh, make his way back to the little boy that he used to be? Is that little boy just lost forever? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really thought of it like that, but yeah, that's a really interesting way of um, perceiving it, I think. And then, uh, yeah, the second part's just awful. And it doesn't start out awful. It starts out, to me, actually really, like, laborious to read. Because mm. it's, it's, it's just like, all right, there's this island. And here's how the breakdown of, like, all the Olympic trials and how the games are and how each of the villages are pitted against each other. And this is who fights who. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's almost just a bit like, okay, this is boring. Uh, and then slowly more and more and more gets revealed. It's uh, actually awful. And it's what's even more awful is that George Perec apparently wrote this when he was about 13. Yeah, that's what he claims, isn't it? In yeah. the, the uh, memory of childhood part, he claims that the other bit was written when he was 13. So we don't know how true, how true that is or whether that's just part of the story. It's hard to, it's hard mm -hmm. to tell, isn't it? Yeah. But if it was then how tormented his his poor little mind must have been uh yes indeed yeah, yeah. <laughs> to imagine something as awful as that um that one of the first thing that's first things that start to tip you off that something is really wrong it's just like okay and you have all these things and um the children are in a separate place and they grow up until they're about 13 12 or 13 and they 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 hear the 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 roar of the crowd and they hear these games and they kind of know that this is their future awaiting them. And it's very exciting and they're looked after and they play games and they're happy. And then they are taken into this, um, into the, the, the little villages where they will be made to compete as athletes and put through this like grueling six month initiation where they're like tortured and bullied and beaten up and, called names and it's like their spirit is broken down and it says, and this is what life will be like for them. And they just have to learn to accept it. And that's kind of just how things are for the rest of their lives. And you're like, what? Mm. That's weird. Yeah. And the women are put in a separate place as we know um, from reading later, like why that is. And then it just goes on and on and on to just, it's worse. And you find out later on in the book 
um, whoever wins or loses games, you know, these Olympic events, it's just kind of up to the, the, just what the day is like of the person who's in charge. So it's like, you could be doing really badly and someone will declare you the winner or you could win. And someone says, Nope, you lose and you don't get food. Okay. So now everything's up to chance. All the rules don't, there are rules, but they don't really seem to matter. One of the very last descriptions of it, if I can read a description of the actual results of a lot of the races, it says, um, it should come as no great surprise that the performances put up are utterly mediocre. The 100 meters is run in 23.4 seconds, the 200 meters in 51 seconds, and the best high jumper has never exceeded 1.3 meters. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, yeah, they're getting nowhere near. Yeah. The, but um, you think like this is some utopian society where it's all like these glorious athletes and it's just, it's just slaves being like put through the ringer and they're starving and being forced into competing against each other for food and women basically. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the women, the women are not companions, are they? They're, they're, that's one of the events the women are set free and then the men are just told to run after them and grab them and you know do do what they want to them what did you think of this part really yeah it's just just horrible (laughs) it's just Mm. i i preferred the other part a lot more maybe i the other part had a lot more kind of even though he was quite detached he was there was a warmth to it but there's no warmth to this it's just very cold kind of description and it just goes on and on and on and on um, and I think it made its point very, very well. But it, there were times where I was wondering if there was like a purpose to this or not. Yeah, I wasn't so keen on it. Maybe I just can't cope with the darkness. I'm too sensitive, I think. I mean, do you feel like the purpose of it was that it's meant to be an analogy of Nazism and the concentration camps and things? Yes, like that? I do. Yeah, there's a little bit at the end, actually, where he says something. These are the, the very last words on the very last page of the book. I've forgotten what reasons I had at the age of 12 for choosing Tierra del Fuego as the site of Double V. Pinochet's fascists have provided my fantasy with a final echo. Several of the islands in that area are today deportation camps. And then it says Paris, Carabelevi, 1970 to 1974. So obviously that's when Pinochet was at his height in uh, Chile. Mm-hmm. That kind of uh, little paragraph sort of says really that, yes, he was thinking of, of camps of some kind, I think, and, and the suffering that maybe his, his mother in particular went through in the concentration camp. Yeah. There is, I did listen. I don't know if we're allowed to advertise other podcasts. There's a, a podcast that I do like, uh, I listen to sometimes called Witness, a BBC podcast. And it's only 10 minutes and it's just somebody who witnessed part of history. And the lawyer representing General Pinochet during his arrest is is interviewed on it. So you can seek that out and draw your own conclusions if you like. Okay, would you like to read to us or tell us really what happened to Georges Perec during the rest of his life? Okay. In 1975, he published his most famous novel called Life, A User's Guide, which some believe to be a masterpiece. So if anyone is interested in reading uh, more Georges Perec, that would be a good place to begin or to go if you decide to read this book too. This is a series of stories about the life of people living in a Parisian block of apartments. 
His other work included the Cantatri Sopranica L scientific papers, which is a spoof scientific paper about the yelling reaction to sopranos after they are pelted with rotten tomatoes. So that sounds fun. Yes, it does. I'd quite like to try that. I like the user's guide too. Yeah, yeah. They both sound great. His novel, Gaspar Pamor, which is Gaspard, not dead in French, was rejected and then believed to be lost, but it was found by David Bellis. I'm assuming that that's his friend. In the house of his other friend, Alain Guerin, who is a famous French journalist and has now passed away, it was reworked and retitled Les Condottiers and published in 2012. And it was translated into English and uh, published in 2014. As for Perec himself, after securing greater financial independence following the success of La Vie Maud d'Emploi, he was able to write full-time. He worked as writer-in-residence at the University of Queensland. However, following his return to France, his health deteriorated and he was diagnosed with lung cancer. Uh, he was a heavy smoker and he died at the age of 45. Pretty young, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's quite scary, isn't it, thinking that? It is, huh? So, yeah, that's the life of George Perec. He crammed a lot in there, I got to say, before 45. Much like the yeah. Brontes, to bring them kind of back into the fold eternally. Yeah, the who? The who? <laughs> Do you have time for a few questions? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, plenty of time, I believe. There, so there's a lot about false memories in this book. Uh, do you have any personal experiences with false memories or do you know much about them? Um, I don't think I have any personal experience, but maybe I do. Maybe my memories yeah, that's are false. The, the thing is, do you know, <laughs> yeah. really? Mm. Yeah, maybe they are false. I know a little bit about it. Um, I uh, teach people and one of the books that we, I, we, you two, I, I imagine use for teaching has a little bit about false memories in it. So in this, it talks about, do you remember the Washington sniper attacks in about 2002? Um, I was probably, sorry, <laughs> I was probably a bit young to um, have been aware of that. Okay. Well, that's why you're not as scared by the number 45 as I am. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the these two men were um, basically shooting people in Washington DC mm -hmm. I think um and many people have witnessed seeing a white van like driving away from the scene very quickly but mm -hmm. it turned out that the the car the vehicle they were using was blue so that mm -hmm. was a false memory that many people had mm -hmm. uh, like a collective false memory that yeah yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. that's weird but um, I know they say things like that like um uh, there was something going around on social media in quite well in recent years i guess where they bring up old tv shows or different colors um on like lo famous logos and they say like which one is the real one and everyone will pick one and then really it was something else something different so everyone has this weird collective memory of something that is actually a little bit different than yeah, it really yeah. was so i'm i know that's a thing yeah um, yeah and obviously there's things like false confessions, isn't there? Yeah, there's that crazy thing in Iceland. It's like the only murder they've ever had, really, where it was like a big thing where like somebody stole from a man. It was like a robbery that went bad. 
But anyway, the police in Iceland were so set on finding because Iceland is a very safe place. And they extracted all these false confession confessions under duress from these people. You know, it happens. It it can happen. You'd think it couldn't happen to you, but it can. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Implanting a, false memories into you. Yeah. There's a John Grisham book about that. Mm-hmm. And it was made into a documentary, I think, which is probably on Netflix. It, it certainly was called something like The Innocent Man. And that's all about people like confessing to doing a crime. It seems very unlikely that they did. Yeah. Um, and um, I do remember remembering things and asking my mom about them and having her tell me like, no, it didn't happen that way. And I think children, as I said, childhood is very confusing and seeing things through the the lens of a child and the innocence of a child, it puts a certain shade over um, certain events, I guess, that happen. And I mean, I don't think I had any kind of certainly no trauma as great as what he did, you know, George Parekh, definitely. So um, that would be my only personal experiences of things like that. Do you want to do another question? Yeah, go on. All right. So Shoot. where would you like to be? I don't know if evacuation was a thing in the States or has ever been a thing, but if it was to be, where would you like to be evacuated to in your country? Oh, it would be really nice because I used to live in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest is just beautiful. It rains a lot though, but it's the scenery there is so gorgeous. So maybe somewhere like that. I wouldn't mind having to go back there. But what about you? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a natural coward. So I would, <laughs> obviously, if you're being evacuated, then you want to be as far away from the action as possible. So maybe Land's End or John O'Groats, somewhere like that. So mm-hmm. very, very, very far away. I think. So dramatic, dramatic scenery, somewhere like oh, Land's yeah. End, very pretty. It is quite pretty. Yeah, quite windy as well. And last thing here, if you were an Olympic athlete, what would be your event? Um, probably like long distance running or something like that. So yeah. I don't know. I'd quite like to run marathons or something like that. There's something quite romantic, I think, about a marathon runner. Um, mm. They don't get the kudos that the sprinters get, I don't think. But there's something more. There's, there's a dignity to it. So something like that, I think. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good choice. Uh, What about you? Would you like to be an athlete? (laughs) Well, uh, I come from a very athletic family, but unfortunately I did not inherit that innate, that ability that didn't, I have um, a cousin who he competes in high school, like track and field and he throws discus, which Mm -hmm. I always thought was a really cool, like old sort of, that's like a straight up ancient like Olympic event, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he's pretty good at it, but unfortunately that is not within my, my capabilities as a human. So yeah, I'm not very athletic at all. I couldn't do anything. The thing that I, I guess I would do maybe something with having to do with like horseback riding or like equestrian events. They do that in the Olympics. They do, um, yeah. And I, I do like ho- horses. I grew up around horses. Yeah. Maybe something like that. That'd probably be any, <laughs> something that's not, athletic like at all it doesn't rely on me more than it you know it just relies on um having a very well-trained animal that i'm quite in in tune with Mm -hmm. so i think that would be my event that'd be great well would you like to read the final quote from this book 
I would, and I've chosen a quote from The Memory of Childhood in which uh, Perec talks about his reasons for writing the book and going back over his memories, and I, I found this quite nice, so I will read that. I am not writing in order to say that I shall say nothing. I am not writing to say that I have nothing to say. I write because we lived together, because I was one amongst them a shadow amongst their shadows, a body close to their bodies. I write because they left in me their indelible mark, whose trace is writing. Their memory is dead in writing. Writing is the memory of their death and the assertion of my life. That was about his parents. That's very sad. Yeah, it is very sad. And yeah, quite moving. But also I, I like that it's the bridge between uh, his parents and the later and the older Perak writing the book who as we've talked about is very much a presence in the in the in the story it's a, a very lovely very creative book that he wrote so thank you for reading it with me and i hope that um, if any of you are listening that you give this book a chance if you're interested in something different because this is different yeah it's very different from from anything we've done before certainly i think Okay, and I think that just uh, leaves us to say goodbye. So hopefully we'll see you very soon. Thank you very much for listening. And it's bye-bye from me. And bye-bye from me. And see you soon.